Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast, where we're bridging the gap between riding and wellness, discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I'm Emily Hamill, an international five-star level eventer, dedicated practitioner of yoga, Pilates, meditation, personal development enthusiast, and plant-strong athlete, recording this in very hot, very sunny Aiken, South Carolina. And I am Dr. Tyler Held. I am a semi-retired professional five-star groom and certified mental performance consultant with my doctorate in sport and performance psychology. I am a lifelong learner, adventure seeker, gym odor, and a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I am recording in a probably not as hot, but equally just as humid Chester County, Pennsylvania. So it's good to be talking to you on the podcast. We, we've been, well, you've been very present, but I've been kind of absent. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like sometimes, um, you know, obviously now I'm trying to keep a really good schedule of, of releasing the podcast on the first and third Monday of every month. Um, but, you know, even when you and I were doing episodes every month, we'd be like, okay, what, what topic, what idea? And I feel like there was so many ideas and topics to talk from because we have taken that time off um, mm-hmm. and, and gotten, you know, a lot of really, really fun guests and and really fun episodes for me to have on there but I I find myself thinking like oh I could talk about this with Emily oh I could talk about that with Emily so I'm excited to kind of jump into it today yeah me too so uh we'd like to welcome you or welcome you back to the whole equestrian podcast as we said in our intro our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses And we do this by having conversations about being more well-rounded individuals via our pillars, mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. We release one made episode a month. Actually, now I would say that's two, like you just said. Um, And we're doing more exciting guest interviews, uh, which Tyler has been knocking out of the park. So, And then we're trying to still keep a um, co-host type podcast whenever we can make that fit so yeah yeah I kind of just have them in the queue um so this you know this one will release um August I don't know what day that is but this one's going to be our our second Monday in August episode um and then I'm hoping to have a really fun uh guest for our first September episode. So stay tuned on that. She's an author and a writer. And so nice combining books, books, books with our equestrian lifestyle. Um, but yeah, as, as we kind of said, lots of sort of spinning mind things for this month's episode, because it has been so long since just Emily and I have sat down and talked to each other, but We're going to talk this episode about being a complete beginner. And I feel like that's something that as as, for me, I own a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and there's basically all these tips and tools for a day one white belt, right? Someone that's walking into the gym and knows nothing. We have protocols, we have advice. I can steer someone in the right direction. And I feel like it's been such a long time since 
Emily and I were beginners and we both started as like children. Um, and I've met with a lot of my sports psychology clients that have gotten into horses a bit later in life. Uh, you know, maybe they're not getting on their first horse until they're 30, 40, 50, you know, even, even close to 60. And it's a little bit hard for me personally to put my mind in someone that's just starting horses later in life because I started riding while I was five. And it's kind of like, you know, riding a bike, second nature type feel to me. Um, and so we're going to sort of visit Emily and I's origin story and pad that in for advice that we think would be important for someone that's brand new, just starting out, doesn't know how to post the truck. Yeah, I love this because we're going to have to go back into our our memory and pull out some of our our uh, important moments that have turned us into the equestrians we are today. So this will be really fun. Yep. But before we do that, um, let's check in on our word of the year and our goals. Emily, I'm going to let you take that away. Okay. So my word of the year is create. I would say it has been a really helpful guiding force this year. I I feel like I've created a lot of things already and we're, you know, well, I guess we're about nine months into the year, eight months, I guess. Um, But yeah, I I, I don't know what else to say about that. I've just been creating, (laughs) creating some new things this year and I'm excited about it creating a whole new lifestyle I feel like right like it's not yeah not that you haven't been an equestrian before but like relocating to Aiken having your own farm with multiple barns like instead you went from being the person that rents a small barn on someone's property to being the flip side of that so lots of creation transition happening for sure yeah yeah, and it's been it's been fun and a good change of pace. So um, I'm liking that. And then as far as my goals, um, I still have you know my big goals with Barry, uh, but I should say and <laughs> now I'm focusing on other goals with like my younger horses and kind of going along with today's theme about you know starting out and beginning. The, the goals for young horses are much different than a five-star horse. So um, that's been kind of fun because like there's a lot of small wins. Um, well, actually, I should say even like big wins with the young ones because like they have so many firsts, like it's their first first event, uh, first move up, all of this stuff where like Barry, I have these very lofty goals and sometimes it feels like I'm just making like little progress with the young ones. I feel like you can see the progress a bit faster and there's your goals change pretty quickly. Whereas berries are like longer term term goals. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> I'm creating new goals. How about that? I love um, Well, and yeah. I, too, Emily, like, I think that's a good point without jumping ahead to talk about like the topic of the day, but you know, if you're an established novice rider and you're going to go novice for the rest of the year, your progress and growth is much less apparent than someone who literally doesn't know how to post the trot 
and goes from that to learning how to canter or jumping their first jump, right? Like going from, I don't know anything about this to, holy crap, I cantered over a cross rail is a much bigger leap and easier progress to see than, hey, I'm doing novice average and I'm going to knock two points off my dressage score and, you know, I usually have one or two rails. I'm going to make that zero or one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. It. So what about you? How's your your word and your goals going? So for my word of the year, it's Paragon. And I think in the earlier episodes of this year, I've talked about, you know, wanting to put my practice into, you know, what I'm actually doing. So the the skills and exercise that I give my clients, I want to do that for myself. And with every good intention, I feel like, you know, it's easy to say that you're doing something even when you're not fully committed to it. And, and what I mean is that in the beginning of the year, when I was getting ready for my tournaments and stuff like that, I'm like, I'm going to be really deliberate about my practice and make sure I'm stretching and hydrating and doing all the things. And I was, but I, I feel like I was still shying away from keeping track or, you know, keeping order, checking boxes, because I have gotten into the rat race of checking boxes before and feel like there's a negative side that I see to that of just doing something like meditating so that you can say you've meditated or reading so that you can say you've read. And so it's this sort of ebb and pull that I've been dealing with. Um, But to me, like being a person of example, being a paragon, embodying that is a hard quest, uh, especially when you have clients in the field that are doing similar things to you. So I, I have a couple of jujitsu athletes that I'm working on performance optimization with. So that puts pressure on the way that I feel when I compete. And I actually had a match just this past weekend that I could tell I got in my head about, uh, my coach didn't really want me to take the match, uh, I, you know, I was doing it for fun for like all the right reasons, just wanting to enjoy it um, and stuff like that. But I could tell I got in my head. And so I think a little bit too late, I started to look into that and, and peel back the layers and do the things that I would do for someone else for myself. And I just didn't give myself enough time to really get my head on straight. And I got caught in a submission pretty early on in the match and it felt hard to cope with because we have our logical brain, right? We have our brain that can think through things. And my logical brain has all this sports psychology information that I preach and read and engage in and believe, but the emotional brain is still there, right? The emotional brain protects our ego. The emotional brain feels like we shouldn't lose. The emotional brain feels like, holy crap, you didn't put in as much effort as you could. You could have won that match. And so I had to kind of sit, and this is still pretty fresh because it's Monday and this was a, a Saturday. Um, but But even just taking that and saying, okay, If someone came to me and was like, I'm really disappointed in my performance, what would I do? I've got six weeks to the Pan American Nogi Championships and I have a fresh journal and I'm ready to kind of do 
my journaling exercises, get really deliberate about my training, get really deliberate about my nutrition. And that loss was the motivation I needed. So I might be going on a big tangent here, but I feel like that experience is something that I wanted to share um, because it was kind of sitting with me and, and glaring. And that gap between knowing and doing is so huge for everyone. Um, and I'm not impervious to it. Um, so, so that's kind of what's going on there. And to tie that into my goals, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had set the goals to put in my best effort, um, at the, the Pan American championships and the world championships in the Gi. And I feel like I was able to do so. Um, and now going into the no Gi championships, uh, in six weeks, I feel like I want to be on the podium. Like I want to be on the podium, not because I have four people in my bracket and I just automatically end up on the podium. Like I feel capable of doing that. And so now having that outcome goal in the future, I'm really going to be specific about having a training camp going into it. Um, and you know, it's the difference between saying, okay, I'd love to go win that novice. What am I going to do about it? So I'm filling in all those intermediate steps that say, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Well, Thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that that, you know, even though most of our listeners are horse people and probably not jujitsu or people that do jujitsu, what, what's the term? What, what do you um, call? Do, I, I think technically some people call it like a judoko, but that's like a weird, okay. I call myself a practitioner. Okay. Jujitsu practitioner. So you know, but there's, there's parallels. And I think it's good for people to know that like, even you (laughs) have to remind yourself to like, do the work, even though, you know, know the things it's like putting it into practice. So, um, that was a good, good thing that hopefully people can relate to. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Are we ready for our next segment? I think we are. All right, it's definitely time for books, books, books. 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 Ooh, I think we like kind of nailed it. I think it was good. I think it was good. Yeah, it was, it was solid. On the recording. But yeah. uh, all right, so in all your farm craziness, getting uh, Barry ready for another five star, have you uh, been able to dedicate any time to reading, Emily? I've, yeah, I've actually been able to read a bit more. Um, so I went on like a mini beach vacation, like just a long weekend. And so I was able to like on the plane ride and then also on the beach, I was able to finish the book that I borrowed from you, Supermarket, which that was like, that was a good book. You were right. Like that was a page turner. Uh, loved that. I know you've already talked about it and it's really hard to talk about it without giving things away. So right, right. it's just worth, it's worth a read. Yeah, worth another mention to say, hey, just go read that book. Yeah. I can't tell you yeah. about it other than the fact that it's amazing. Yeah. So I finished that and then I started another book called The Editor by Stephen Rowley. And um, I'm enjoying it. It's uh it's interesting. It's about like Jackie Kennedy or Jackie Onassis. Um and but it's a it's a novel and basically um she is a book editor and it's the story about this author that she picks up 
and um, like helps guide him through editing his book, which is about his mother. And there's like, anyways, it's just like, it's a good story. And they kind of like bond over some of the experiences and like Jackie helps bring, you know, more to the story and like helps him to dig through some of like his family stuff. And um, anyways, it's, it's a good book. It's a solid, solid read. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm reading. What about you? Um, well, since it's been so long, since there's books, 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 I feel like there's a lot that I could talk about, but mm-hmm. I'm sticking with my, the one book rule. Um, and it's a bit, Alexis, I think is going to smile. Alexis was a couple episodes ago, our, our guest yeah. on the podcast, Alexis Kalechian. Um, she's going to smile when she hears me say this, but I feel like the book found me right when I needed it and so let me preface myself I'm also smiling about this this is great (laughs) okay the book found me like I didn't find the book the book found me and um it's called sisterhood everlasting so any of my sisterhood of the traveling pants fans out there this is the sisterhood book four and Mm. takes place when the girls are basically like turning 30 so the original book series are like 16 17 18 and this book they're turning 30 um and and i can't i i looked at and her name and brashes it, it looks like bra bra shares but i have yeah. always her brashes so i think it's and brashes i'm not sure and that's the author but sisterhood of the traveling pants was a pretty big franchise um and I read it uh, once, I probably in like middle school or something like that. And then I reread the series on a trip to Greece that I took with all of my friends when I was 17 years old. So mm-hmm. 17 years old, I I read all the books and stuff like that, reread them. And, you know, obviously, in not obviously, if you haven't read Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, there's a Greece theme in that. They go to Greece mm-hmm. together and stuff. So it was just kind of like a cute thing for me, right? And so I'm reading I'm reading the book and it's pretty emotional because it's telling the story of the, the girls that I feel like I grew up with turning 30. So that's where I am. It was right before my 29th birthday. So I'm basically right at the cusp of it. And lots of emotional stuff happens. I'm not going to spoil like no, no serious plot points that I need to really share other than, you know, the girls had kind of grown apart and their friendship wasn't as strong as it used to be and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, wow, that like really hit a chord emotionally with me. And I was like, when was this book published? And ironically, the book was published in 2010. I was on my trip to Greece in 2011, rereading all the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants books. I had no clue there was a fourth Sisterhood book. And so mm. for me, to, I found it at a discount bookstore, just walking through randomly like... I never have any direction when I walk through discount bookstores. Like I don't look at the sections or stuff like that. I pull random books off and if it speaks to me, I get it. And I pulled that book off and I was like, oh my God, there's a sisterhood four. But how weird is it that I didn't know that book existed in 2011 when I was rereading the series, but I found it 
right when I'm in the same life stage as the character. Yeah. That is kind of crazy. I love it. That's my, you know, that's my book. It was a really good book. I was crying. I actually was reading it um, on the plane ride to our whole equestrian clinic in Wisconsin. And (laughs) I like could not stop. Like I read it the entire flight and we got it. I think I had like two chapters left and I actually stayed up till like 11 o'clock that first night to finish the last two chapters of the book um, because it was that good. I was like, I need to know what happens. So, okay. I, I haven't w- read any of those, so maybe yeah. I need to. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of teen romance, okay. it's, it's great. Okay. I feel like, honestly, like, even as an adult, sometimes, like, reading, like, teenage, like, books that are geared towards young adults, like, it just, it's nostalgic. And it makes yeah. me feel happy and whole on the inside. Love that. So. Fun. Well, shall we get into our main topic? Yes. Yeah. So I figured we could start this by, even though I know both you and I started as kids, I want you to kind of take me through your journey of first time on a horse to, okay, I'm taking riding lessons to this is really a big part of my life. And we'll just start, no advice. We'll just start anecdotal, anecdotally that way. I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever that word is. Yes. Um, yeah. So first time on a horse, uh, was when I was very young, but it was just like a pony ride, right? Like my parents have a picture of it somewhere. Um, and then like they have pictures of me petting horses throughout my young, young years. And then my first actual time riding, I was like eight or nine, probably eight, eight and a half, not exactly important, but, um, yeah, when I had my first riding lesson in New York, uh, when I was visiting my dad and my stepmom, and I don't remember a whole lot about it, just that like, I enjoyed it and they said I was kind of a natural and then um yeah I guess like they taught me to post the first lesson and I like nailed it which when you first start posting can be kind of difficult so I think um like I had fun but I also liked being like kind of naturally good at something so then when I came when I went back home to Wisconsin I like begged my mom for riding lessons and she was, she was all in and all about that. So then I rode, uh, lesson horses for a year or more. Um, yeah, probably taking like one lesson a week. I rode lesson horses and then I joined 4-H club and I didn't have my own horse yet, but they have this program in 4-H that's called like horseless horse. So you get matched with someone that does have a horse And so I started on this horse named Peaches. She was this um, buckskin quarter horse. And I like did Western pleasure with her and stuff and had like, you know, the fun sparkly get up and uh, did that. Then when I was 10, I got my first horse, Louie, who, you know, and uh, that was probably not the best choice for a first horse. He was like, feral to say the least but um so it was it was a bit rocky at times but uh I think it definitely 
made me a better rider. And that's kind of like the origin of my, my horse, horse story. And then, you know, it just kind of builds from there, but that's, that's how I started. Wow. Very cool. Do you remember like any, like first times, like first time I jumped three foot, like any, is there any memories that like stick out for you as like, I overcame that? Or I I mean, it sounds like you were pretty much a natural and kicking in there. Do does anything stick out for you and just memories? Um, one kind of funny memory. So Louie, he, as I said, he was a bit feral. Um, and I don't think my trainer really approved this horse purchase, but we were like dumb and, you know, naive enough that we're like, Oh, it's fine that we get this girl that doesn't have that much experience. This horse that's like completely wild. Like he had been broke to ride, but he'd had kind of like a a rough history. So he wasn't very trained anyway. Uh, One of the memories that sticks out is that, um, so I would take lessons on my horse, Louie, once or twice a week, and when, and they were group lessons, and when it was time to canter, she made all the other kids go to the middle of the arena and sent me out, (laughs) called me the suicide squad, because you would just, like, gallop around, Um, and, you know, it, it all worked out, it was fine, I couldn't really stop, but, you know, all the, all the other kids were safe, they were in the middle, so. Um, yeah, that memory sticks out. And then also the first time I jumped, I kind of like realized that I like that a lot better. Cause I started out riding Western, which I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I think originally I thought it would be fun to do like barrel racing and okay. stuff. And, and then I jumped a lesson horse and I was like, Oh, actually this is way cooler. Uh, so I don't remember what horse I jumped first, uh, but I do remember that it kind of changed my trajectory when it came to riding. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely fun to think about. Yeah, because um, I I could be a cowgirl now instead of a five star venter. So um, anyway, well, there is uh, there is one girl at the summer camp that I've been doing some sports psychology with that that re- there's no eventer that does also really high level barrel racing. So that's one of her goals and aspirations is to oh. be a five-star eventer that also barrel races. I don't know how you can manage the schedules and stuff like that. <laughs> I appreciate the goal, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's funny. I've never thought about that, but I feel like and I, sorry to any barrel, barrel racer out there, but I'm like, how hard can it be to barrel race? Right? <laughs> like if you're a five-star level eventer, you should be able to go out of barrel race. I, I feel like you just uh, need a fast horse. If we have any Western listeners, like invite Emily out, get to give it a half <laughs> while. We'll see how we go. Um, you know, that'd be I, fun. Yeah. I, I really want to ride like Western. Like I'm I, now that I'm kind of like riding should just be fun. I'm like, I want to ride Western. Like I, I never really rode. We used to have a Western day at mm-hmm. the summer that I did and that's about the extent of the western riding that I've done in my life okay yeah so um how did you start take take me back Tyler 
Um, so sa same thing as you, I'm sure there was pony rides before, uh, hand, like I, I had been introduced to horses via pony rides. And I think I even had like my third birthday, there was maybe ponies in my backyard or something. Um, Fun. but I did a lot of activities as a kid. Like I, my, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. So we were enrolled in like almost everything. And during the summers we would do a bunch of camps. And so when I was five years old, I did pony pal summer camp at a, a local barn um, called the Columbia horse center. Um, and I, yeah, I, I started riding and I, fell in love with the first horse that I rode. His name was Pepe. And I would scream <laughs> and cry if they did not put me on Pepe. And like, literally, I think my parents had to pick me up one day. I didn't stay at camp. It was a five-day camp, but I didn't stay at camp one day because they were like, no, you can't ride Pepe. I'm like, that's blasphemous. Like, I trust Pepe and Pepe alone. I don't want to ride any of these other yaks in here. <laughs> um, so I was like five years old. And then ages five to 10, I did a pretty much a different summer camp every summer different barns um locally my brother and I used to do them together which was hilarious because my so brother he used to ride uh just in summer camps he used to fall okay. he used to fall off get bitten like um uh, I did a sleepaway summer camp that had horses so I would do like horses there too so there's always always like a little bit of horses through um summer camps and stuff like that and then when I was 10 we were getting our Girl Scout equestrian badge because there's, you can get uh, patches for doing equestrian mm -hmm. activities. And Columbia Horse Center, where I had first started the Pony Pal Camp, had a program to bring Girl Scouts in and get their badge or whatever. And that was when I was like, I think I really like horses. I want to do this. So, well, the whole time. I was like afraid of horses, like me being like attached to Pepe and stuff like that. I think there was this weird like sense of I was drawn to the fear of it. Um, yeah, I, I was like a little bit afraid of horses, um, but I started taking lessons when I was 10 and I probably took lessons once a week for one or two months before I was volunteering to work in the barn to get a second lesson a week. Um, and I spent a long time without a horse, just riding lesson horses and stuff like that. We had an Equilise program where you could kind of ride any of the horses in Equilise things. So I did that for a while. I leased an Arabian cross named Coca-Cola, who I won a lot of pleasure hunter classes with. Wow. I've never heard about Coca-Cola. Yeah. Coca-Cola. He was like, he was the real MVP. Coca-Cola was really sweet. And I mean, we were jumping like 18 inch cross rails and stuff like that. But nice. I also did a lot of, I did a lot of, I did dressage shows and I did hunter shows. So that was kind of like, I always wanted to event and I was kind of doing pieces of it, but never putting it together. Um, I feel like I kind of evented late. I wasn't 17. And looking back, um, as we kind of talk about, oh, what advice? If there's kids listening, I wish I had done like 4-H or Pony Club. Like I, I feel like being involved in an organization like that would have given me a lot more like horsemanship knowledge that I, I kind of lacked. Um, but yeah, no, lots of lots of fun experiences. Um, I got my first horse when I was uh, 16. His name was Fred. He was a six month off the track thoroughbred. And same as Emily, probably not an appropriate mount for me. But Fred and I did some cool things and some fun things. And I took him to college with me. Um, 
I guess maybe I was 14 when I got him. I think I was 14 when I got him. And then I was 17 when I took him to college with me. Um, and yeah, we evented and he was great and kind of just grew my career from there. But when I think of memories that stick out, we had this like adopt a horse for a day thing that you could do. And you got to basically like spend all day with the horse and you got to ride him twice in the day and uh, just spend the day at the barn. So I think my mom had gotten that for me as a birthday present or Christmas present or something. And I didn't do a lot of riding, not in lessons at that point. And so I just remember this barn had like two big arenas, two like giant outdoor arenas. And I was in the back one and there wasn't really anyone around in the back arena. And he took off with me. Like this horse is just like galloping. And (laughs) I didn't know what to do. Like I was so unprepared for the experience that do you know what you want to guess what my reaction was Emily you screamed I screamed yeah like I will never forget that is like a core I will never forget (laughs) how I felt him go faster right like yeah as soon as I screamed I could feel like and I don't even remember like how I I know I stopped I don't know if I ran into a fence or something but like I stopped I didn't fall off I was fine it was a fine experience but like that is a core memory for me just being a beginner being (laughs) so unprepared never really having ridden by myself yeah take off screaming and feeling it go faster when I screamed yeah I (laughs) I'm glad you're okay and uh, you're not still running around on that horse to this day. Um, But that to me kind of makes me um, want to stress the importance of like if you are starting out to be surrounded by knowledgeable trainers who aren't going to allow you to be in a situation that you're not ready for. Yeah, yeah. So let's kind of use that as a segue, Emily. Um, Obviously, I feel like just with your caliber and location and market, you don't get a lot of people coming to you saying like, I don't know how to post the trot. Can you help me? But imagine someone did or, you know, someone wanted advice and of, of where to start, how to start getting the gear, getting yourself situated, having the right mindset, what would be some of your top advice to give that brand new beginner? Yeah. So, you know, I don't really have that clientele now, but there was plenty of times that I did have that clientele, you know, like when I was um, growing up in Wisconsin and I started teaching lessons, you know, when I was in high school and then through college, I had plenty of beginners and also when I was in Lexington, Kentucky as well, um, the barn that I started teaching was like, you know, it was primarily a kid's barn, you know, and there were a lot of up down lessons. Um, so I guess what I would say to beginners is do, do some research, you know, make sure that you're going to a reputable barn and trainer, um, you know, we have the internet, so see what you can figure out before you, you go somewhere. Also like say you're not experienced, but you have a horse friend that is, 
you know, try to get their guidance and um, maybe have them go with you uh, to a new barn or, or whatever. Um, and then let's see, what else? I mean, I think it's just like, you got to choose the right place um, and kind of take note of like how the the instructors treat people and also how they treat their horses. You know, like even if you don't know anything about horses per se, you can look at a barn, look at a horse, um, look at how people are treating others and kind of make some, some judgment calls on that. Um, and then the other thing is like, if you ever are put in a situation you don't feel comfortable with or something that you're, you don't think that you're ready for, make sure that you, you speak up like you're your own advocate, because I think trainers sometimes, because the beginning stuff is so easy for them, maybe don't understand how difficult it can be for like beginners and might push you further than you're, you're comfortable with. And it's a fine line, right? It's like, you want to be pushed, but you want to be pushed to a safe level. So kind of trust your gut um, and uh, read the room, you know, read the barn, see if it's a good fit. Uh, yeah. Did I answer all of the things you wanted me to answer? Uh, well, I, I kind of want to just piggyback on what you're saying there, because I recently had a friend reach out to me. Um, and said like, Hey, my daughter's really interested in riding. Do you have any recommendations for places to go? And unfortunately she wasn't in my like local, local area. So I had to do some research a little bit closer to her. And I feel like there's a couple of things that you can easily kind of look for in terms of red like even the google reviews of some of the barns i was like oh yeah like definitely don't go there like i don't know what's going on but uh people will usually share if they've had an unsafe experience there and i feel like that's where equestrian sports might differ from a basketball team right like if you have a bad basketball coach yes there is definitely psychological damage that uh, can occur there. But if you put yourself in a bad equestrian situation, not only is there psychological damage that occur, but there's also a really high chance of physical damage to occur, right? Like if you don't have the competence, if you don't have the skills, you're not going to be safe. And I think finding a good horse to learn on is especially important, right? Like, and so knowing that that person that is running a lesson facility that's geared towards the beginner has the horses to be safe and sort of make sure that they're on the right track. And one of the things that I was looking for specifically is some of the lesson barns that also do therapeutic riding programs. Um, yeah. you know, especially if you're older, like finding somewhere that they have horses that are used for therapeutic riding, that's usually a pretty good sign that they are cognizant over safety um, in, in the lesson horses that they're bringing in. And then, yeah, that's a great, that's a great tip actually. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of like, you know, obviously there's great lesson barns that don't have therapy programs, but I think mm -hmm. there's a lot 
there's a lot of places to look at and a lot of options to choose from. And so if you're trying to narrow it down and place A and place B look exactly the same, like if they've got therapeutic riding, they probably have some safe horses. Now that's not, I know plenty of like really good lesson barns that don't have therapeutic riding, but if you don't know anyone, if you don't know connections, if you don't have any references, that's just a, a general random tip that I that I thought of while I was looking to give a recommendation. Um, and and the other thing is starting your education from the ground up will help you be able to identify some of the things that Emily was talking about. So when Emily says, make sure the horses are taken care of, well, you can start your education from the ground up take a Google search and Google what body condition score in horses means. And now you're educating yourself on what a horse ideally should look like. And if you go in and every horse in the barn, you can see its ribs, that's probably a red flag that those horses aren't being taken care of properly. Like in general, if every horse is miserable or pinning its ears or there's poop everywhere like that's not a great facility and not a great place to be in and so when you can start your education by saying let me spend you know a couple hours here or there searching the internet about good horse care good management good ground stuff then you can spot and pick the place that you would be able to ride better. And, you know, I always think that people should have education of what goes on with horses outside of the saddle. So just that simple, um, and I just Googled it while we were talking to, to see, and there's 17 different good sources that will tell you this is what a horse is supposed to look like. And that's not to say that, you know, a, a, le a good lesson barn might have a horse that, has a lower body condition score that they're working on, they just got in or something like that. But if all of the horses are that poor quality or that poor condition, uh, you won't know unless you know what to look for. So figure out what it is to look for. Uh, understand there's certain safety protocols. And if someone doesn't care and someone's like, okay, well, you're just going to get on and they're not telling you how to do it, that's not safe physically or psychologically. Yeah, definitely. And kind of going with the whole um, educating yourself from the ground up. I also think it's important when you're starting out that you're learning how to groom a horse, how to tack a horse. It's not just like show up and get on. I mean, that is an option for people, but I think to really understand like horses better and their body language and just like feel more how to feel more comfortable handling them you, you need to spend some time on the ground um and then you know get on as well but when I had my um barn in Lexington and was teaching a lot of kids like that was part of their lesson like they had to groom the horses tack them up you know I would help them until they learned how to do it on their own um you know, and you get to a point and you're like, okay, the, the student knows the basics enough that they can practice on their own. But, you know, for the first, I don't know, 10 lessons or so, I would be in the barn helping them with that. Yeah, no, I love that. And I feel like a lot of 
lesson barns do kind of have the deal that the horse is just standing in the cross ties saddled and ready to go for you or maybe it just had a lesson beforehand right sometimes you know walk trot lesson horses get used a couple times a day and you're just getting mm-hmm. on the horse that was just ridden so making sure that even if that is the case you're spending time to figure out how to move around horses to figure out how to understand them to figure out all the little pieces. And then I think the other side of it, that, that kind of goes under like the practical advice, right? What to look for, what to do. Uh, I think there's an emotional advice piece that we could talk about here, Emily, which is uh, our beginner's mind from yoga. Um, And and maybe you want to define that because I know you have spent some time in yoga teacher training and I can kind of piggyback off what you say, but um just really embracing being a beginner. Yeah. So beginner's mind is basically what it sounds like. Like you come to a situation with an open mind, ready to learn. Um, I think it's when you are a beginner, it's easier to come to a situation with a beginner's mind just because you don't really have any information. I find like the whole beginner's mindset, maybe even more helpful for people that have, Uh, more knowledge and they're trying something new that's slightly different you know to come to it with an open mind but um I I guess like in terms of people new to riding um you know if you have any preconceived notions about like what it is to ride or take care of a horse or maybe you've gone down like a google rabbit hole or watched a bunch of YouTube videos in preparation for your first lesson or whatever, you know, keep, keep that in mind, but then also be willing to learn, um, what the instructor that you're working with, like how they want things done. And, and, uh, you know, you're going to this person because they're a professional. So again, finding someone that you can trust enough to come with the right mindset is important. Yeah. And I feel like that is really applicable to maybe an adult that's getting into it because yeah, the expectations as an adult, sometimes not, pra- not practically, but the way that they are, the way that we perceive things is because I'm a professional, because I have some authority in another field, things shouldn't be hard when I start them right? So if I am a doctor, right? I'm Tyler Held. I am a doctor. Things should just come easily to me. That's a very misconception mindset that people get into and allowing yourself to say, I don't know anything about this. This is going to be hard. This is going to be challenging. This is going to be difficult, but I like doing hard things and finding the little pieces of information that you can take away from each ride instead of focusing on everything that you don't know, right? Um, I think that that's especially important when you're starting out. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I feel very overwhelmed. I feel like I can't keep my shoulders back and my heels down at the same time because I have to focus so hard on each one that when I focus on my shoulders, my heels come up. And when I focus on my heels, my shoulders come forward. And that 
is learning in a nutshell. But society and our ego says it uh, it shouldn't be hard. I shouldn't have to struggle, right? So being able to embrace the challenges and being able to be really open-minded about how ugly and uncomfortable it's going to be for maybe even the first couple years, right? Like it's going to depend on what goals you have and what you're trying to get out of it. And so that's another thing I would say is like upfront say, why am I doing this? What's the value? What am I placing in? So that when you do have that really frustrating lesson or you do um, maybe fall off for the first time, you have that understanding and that reinforcement preset for yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really good, good tip. Um, and it kind of reminds me of like when I, I, I don't even want to say learn to golf because like, I don't really know how to golf, but I went to the driving range with Dave and it was like my first time I've played mini golf, but like, I've never like gone to a driving range or actually played like proper golf. So you know, I go, go for the first time and I'm like, how hard can it be? Right. It's like hitting a ball. You know, I'm, I'm an athlete. This shouldn't be that difficult. And man, it is hard to hit a golf ball properly. And there's like so much that goes into it. And when I, you know, when I wasn't automatically good at it, because I do feel like I'm a very athletic person and like, I have body awareness and that sort of thing. Like when I wasn't good at it at first, I was like, you know, really frustrated. And also like, I didn't want to look bad and, you know, it's all these things. And so I'm sure that, you know, this could be the same feeling for people starting to ride. Like maybe they've had success in other sports and again, they feel athletic and it it looks easy. Right. But the thing is, is like a lot of sports look easy, but aren't, and there's a lot of details and it's just, it's a, it's a time thing. It's a repetition thing. You know, it's a consistent practice. And so for me, with my experience at the driving range, it gave me some empathy then for like people who um, are less experienced and are riding with me. I'm like, okay, you know, it, they, they can be good at other things, but this is still hard and it's going to take time and, and all of that. And it's okay if you don't, like get it right away because the only way you can really like understand things is through consistent practice. So, well, and and I think that's a great point because again, for you and me, it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of the five and eight year old versions of ourselves that we're learning how to post the trot, right? You said it came easily. I don't remember. Like I remember saying up down to myself, but I don't remember feeling like unstable. And, you know, uh, I was at summer camp and we were trying to hold water in a cup while we were riding. And I like (laughs) leaned off the saddle to try to keep the water in the cup and just completely fell off the horse because I had no (laughs) body balance awareness, right? And I I remember those in pieces, but it's less vivid than, okay, I can picture in my mind the difference of watching someone 
post the trot that has no clue what they're doing versus someone post the trot that's been posting it for 10 years, right? And I always use the example of posting the trot in my sports psychology when I'm talking about how we learn. Because you or I, Emily, don't have to get on and say up, down, up, down, up, down. I can even, you know, five years removed from any sort of lessons and competitive riding, probably even more so at, at this point, I can still feel if I'm on the right diagonal without looking down, because that's just ingrained in my body and it's ingrained in my skills. But I can I can picture what it looks like to be unstable. And I'd be like, oh, it's going to be really hard. You're focusing on a lot of things. There's a lot of tension of trying to force yourself to do something. And that's the cycle of learning that we get into. When we're doing something that's brand new, we have to be very, very deliberate about all the little pieces. And we have to think very, very hard. The goal is to get to a point where we don't have to think so hard about the things that we can just do. And so having the patience for the thinking hard part of the learning process is the difference between someone that's going to get to that automatic, I just post the trot, and the person that's going to feel frustrated with themselves and quit. And the thing about that frustration is it's actually a precursor to flow, right? It's actually a precursor to that feeling of one in the zone, peak performance moment. And so even our more advanced listeners should hear that and say, as I'm trying to change, adapt, and level up, every time that I get really frustrated but like for myself, that's good. That's a sign that you are on the cusp of a breakthrough. That is the sign that you are growing and learning. Frustration is part of this process. And so knowing that as a beginner, you have to be able to go to the lessons, learn the things, look at the five-year-old next to you that is jumping a two-foot course and say, it's okay that today I'm just learning how to steer. Yeah, definitely. So well said, Tyler. I was lost in your words for a minute. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Anything else that you wanted to add? I feel like we've got a pretty good summary uh we've got we talked about ourselves we talked about um growing we've talked about all, all the different things so yeah practical emotional side practical. of things yeah. so yeah yeah I think I think we're good um do you have a training tip well that's me do I have a training tip you that is the question do I have a training tip this month um so I would say it's probably uh, hot everywhere, right? I know it's hot here. So I've had to adjust some of my riding a little bit um, just to keep the horses safe and comfortable. Um, so I guess my training tip would be to uh, just not be afraid to to stray from like your normal training sessions, you know, if you're, 
an amateur and you only have one horse to ride every day, chances are you like to be on it for quite a while, you know, like 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. Um, sometimes when it's hot, like I, I can get a good work out of a horse in 20 minutes and it's not like rushed. It's not, um, like I'm not skipping anything. I'm just not staying on everything as long. You know, it's like, especially with the young ones, you can kind of run through your basics. Do they feel good? Okay, cool. Let's put them away. And, um, or you can spend a lot of time like walking, uh, and hacking and that sort of thing. I've started doing more hacks with Barry. So he's out for a long time and, you know, he's got his, um, his, uh, heartbeat goes up a little bit, but he's not actually working that hard, but he's like, you know, he's moving for an extended period of time and that can really build on fitness without having to like drill him in the heat. So I would say, you know, don't feel like you have to stay on your horse for X amount of time. Like sometimes short rides every day are better than like long rides a couple times a week. Um, and I'm sure your horses will appreciate having a bit of break, a bit of a break with the heat. I love it. I think that's a really good tip. Um, especially cause I feel like temperatures across the country have been unseasonably warm, even though yeah. I just, I feel like it's been a hot summer, like everywhere. Yeah. I've so, um, definitely. Except when we were in Wisconsin, that was lovely. That was really nice. Wisconsin was lovely. I was wearing like a hoodie. Yeah. So do you have a grooming tip? Yeah, um, I do. I'm going to piggyback on your heat advice. Um, and I'm going to say that um, a lot of times in the heat, horses will end up with a lot of rubs on themselves because of all of the sweat and just trying to deal with fly sheets, sweaty saddle pad. Like it's just a lot of their own nastiness creating skin problems and stuff like that um and so if your horse has bald spots in the saddle area a really good piece of advice is to actually baby powder down your entire saddle pad before you put it on just to create that protective layer between the saddle pad and the skin um that can also be done under boots under fly sheets um just the, the I feel like every uh, grooming tip I have is like just go to the baby aisle and make everyone think wild <laughs> But uh, baby powder is really important for that. And then I'm going to layer on our uh, advice for beginners, since this is our beginner episode. Um, and I would take some time to learn about the different brushes that we have and what order to use them in and uh, where and what. So like we have curry combs and there's certain directions that you should go with the curry comb. Curry comb is circles. You know, you go with the hair, not against it with our hard brushes, soft brushes and stuff like that. Um, I will say that a lot of like Horse Care 101 uh, books say not to curry legs but I think like with a good jelly curry, yeah, a soft like, curry, yeah, like a soft, like jelly curry. It's actually really important to curry your horses, legs, especially if they wear boots and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or like, or those like, hands on gloves. I love yeah, those for legs. Gloves are really good. Yeah. Too. Like you should be doing some kind of curry to the legs because um, I feel like you can get a lot of funk 
on the legs. Uh, yeah. And also a beginner tip. I feel like I now I'm just adding a bunch of things. <laughs> beginner tips. Yeah. I'm thinking all of them. Um, when you're spraying your horse down after a ride, make sure you lift up their tail and get between their butt cheeks because there's a lot of blood vessels right there and a lot of sweat. And not only from preventing a fungus type thing, but also uh, getting them cooler faster. Um, and, you know, I feel like that's, you know, even advanced riders will forget sometimes, you know, you're just in a rush and you want to spray the sweat that you see and you forget to go to that important part of the horse. Yeah. Great tip. Thank you. Yeah. So what is next? I know you have some fun guest episodes, you know, lined up for recording and releasing. Um, Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I haven't, this isn't 100% certain yet, but I'm about 80% per- cer- certain that I'm going to have a booth at the Maryland Five Star. Ooh, um, exciting. Yeah. So that will be, you know, somewhat p- promoting the whole equestrian, uh, mostly promoting Thought Quest Solutions, my sports psychology business and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to put together some fun things for that. The only red tape right now is I have to make sure like my insurance is in order to cover like an event or something, which okay weird, but um, I got to figure that out. But I'm hoping I, I have the space. Like they said, oh yeah, like you've got the space. Um, and yeah, I, I'm hoping that we can send all of our listeners to come say hi at the Maryland Five Star and send friends that might be interested in sports psychology and I'm sure I could convince Emily here to come for an autograph signing Um, definitely I will be there we'll do sports psychology tips and fun interactive things so uh, I think that's kind of the most and what's next Emily's competing at the Maryland five-star knock on wood yeah (laughs) yeah it's a it's a little ways out but that's what we're gearing up for so And AECs is uh, Labor Day weekend, is that right? Labor Day weekend. So, yep, that is my next big event with Barry. And then we'll do the Stable View Four Star and then the Maryland Five Star. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to all come up pretty quick. Yeah, I would love to hear if any of our listeners are heading to AECs and uh, hear about their journey and some of their goals and stuff like that. So if you're a member of the whole equestrian community, uh, maybe post about your AEC stuff and uh, make sure you connect with Emily when you're out there. Yeah, I'd love to love to meet you guys and help you if I can. So, well, we hope that this episode um, either helped you if you're a beginner or maybe you're a more advanced listener. Uh, hopefully this gave you some empathy for the beginners and uh, and also maybe had you think about some of your early memories with horses and, and how you began and how much you have grown since that. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, if you are, like I said, find us in the whole equestrian community, even if you're not competing at AECs, we love to connect, uh, find us on Facebook and Instagram. There's actually a pretty hilarious recent post that I found of, I don't know how old I was, but it was like a comic of literally. Oh, like, that's great. I love that. Sports <laughs> yeah. psychology thoughts. So um, if you're not following us on Facebook or Instagram, definitely don't miss out on the extra content and fun that I post on there randomly. Um, yes. It's, other it's than that, classic. We love you. All right. 
Yeah, we do. And thanks so much for listening. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride.